When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening? Good Thursday to all of you. Thanks for joining me. As always, it is much appreciated. Let's begin here. A thank you to everyone who has listened to this podcast, who has watched this podcast, who has rated, reviewed, commented, liked, and subscribed. Thanks to all of you because we hit our goal, baby. 2,000 subscribers on YouTube by March 1st. We beat it by a week. So, Charlie, I see your super chat. And I thank you for your super chat. Congrats on 2000, Nick. I appreciate you, my man. Charlie's been riding since day one. Marilyn jumps in and said, you did it, Nick. 2000, congrats and well done. I say we did it, Marilyn. We did it, not just I. My friend, personally, Amy jumps in and says, good morning. Finally made a live show. Nobody else call me Nicholas on this podcast. She's the only one allowed to do so. And Rob D also says, congrats on getting to 2K. That's awesome. Honestly. It's a we thing, and I appreciate every single one of you. We made it. March 1st was the goal. We hit it. Let's keep going. Let's keep building the momentum. I can't thank you enough for investing in this show. All right, we'll get to major takeaways from the press conference yesterday with the Patriots, but let's start with Justin Fields because there has been a lot of talk about Justin Fields, and I haven't talked about Fields myself. We have not discussed whether or not I would trade for Justin Fields if I were the Patriots. Kimberly Martin yesterday on ESPN's Get Up said everybody in the NFL expects Fields to be somewhere else. Burt Breer wrote this week that Chicago staffers got inquiries from other teams on Fields in Mobile during the Senior Bowl week. So it seems that it's rather obvious that Chicago is more likely than not going to move on from Justin Fields. They got the number one pick. Caleb Williams is going to be the guy. So inevitably, the question is, what's the market? What's the market for Fields? How much would you have to pay to bring him in? Courtney Cronin and Jeremy Fowler at ESPN.com wrote yesterday that the consensus in an informal poll of league evaluators is that Fields would be worth a second or third round pick in a pre-draft trade. Second or third round pick. Jordan Schultz from Bleacher Report, he disagrees with Cronin and Fowler. Because he said on the Zach Gelb show on CBS Sports Tuesday that, quote, it's my understanding that Fields at this point probably commands a late first round pick. So Schultz says late first round pick. Cronin and Fowler say second or third round pick. Before I give you my thoughts on Justin Fields and whether or not I'd pull the trigger on a trade, I'm going to give you the same caveat that I'm going to continue to give you up until the draft when we talk quarterbacks. And that caveat is number one option for me is if you love a quarterback at number three, you take the quarterback at number three, 10 times out of 10. I will continue to state that so people don't get it twisted. If you love the guy, if you love Daniels, you love May, whoever's there at three, you take that quarterback at number three, 
if you love them. If not, does Justin Fields make sense? It depends on the details. It's not a simple yes or no for me. And I know people like to pound the table and stand up and say, yes, no. It's not simple because I think it depends on the details. Now, is he worth a a first or second round pick? I don't think he's worth the first or second round pick. There's no way on God's green earth that I would give up a first or second round pick for Fields. I just wouldn't do it. And it's not just because the Patriots are at the top of those rounds this year. I'm not giving up the number three pick for Fields. And I'm not giving up the number 34 pick for Fields. It's not happening on my watch. If that is the price to do business, I'm Elliot Wolf. I'm walking away. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm not sold after his first three years. Does anybody know who Justin Fields is as an NFL quarterback? I don't think any of us know for sure who he is, what he is, how good he can be, how bad he can be. We've seen flashes. He has tools. He's got the strong arm. He's got the athleticism. So we know he has tools. And we know he's shown flashes. But he's also been plenty bad analytically. When you look analytically at what Justin Fields is as a quarterback, Adam Johns at The Athletic wrote this yesterday. Among qualified quarterbacks, Fields finished last season 29th in completion percentage, 23rd in passing yards per game, 22nd in passer rating, 24th in QBR, 26th in adjusted net yards per attempt, 31st in sack percentage, 22nd in sack rate. You get the point. Statistically, analytically, Fields wasn't good last year. Now, again, we saw the flashes, and Chicago went on a nice run in the middle portion of the season. But Fields, in a vacuum, did not show us consistent good football at the quarterback position. That's just not what he showed us. The question to me is whether or not you trade a third-round pick for Justin Fields. That's when it gets interesting. I have thoughts on that. We'll discuss it in a minute. First, don't forget to like and subscribe. Let's continue to build this momentum. I don't know what the next goal is going to be for subscriptions, honestly. I'm going to take a day or two to figure it out. But we hit 2,000, and I thank every single one of you for that. So if you're watching, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. More subscriptions means the world. And likes. Just take a second of your time. If you're watching us on YouTube right now, just go down to that little thumb that's pointing up. Click that and help us out. All right, before I tell you whether or not I'd give up a third-round pick for Justin Fields, we've got another super chat. Devin Allen jumps in and says, no, no, no. (laughs) He isn't that good in the system. He's been in the past three years. Why would he come here and be any better? Take the swing at the quarterback in the draft. Again, the caveat, Devin, is quarterback at number three if you love the guy. Every day of the week, twice on Sunday, 10 times out of 10, whatever cliche you want to use, that's what I'm doing. The question is, if you don't love one of those guys, then what do you do? You know, maybe you you entertain the idea of a Michael Penix in the second round or a Bo Nix in the second round. I'm falling out of love with some of the other quarterbacks in this draft. So I look at Fields, and I have to entertain this idea of trading a third-round pick. Is Fields worth a third-round pick? I actually think he is, but with a caveat. There's a catch. That's why it's not a simple yes or no. And here's the caveat. I would be willing, if I don't love a quarterback at the top of this draft, I would be willing to trade a third-round pick for Fields if 
I could get Fields to agree to a Jordan Love-like contract. This is something that I think has been overlooked by many people discussing this topic. Jordan Love signed a contract extension with the Green Bay Packers last year. Many people overlooked that, but it could be a crucial detail as far as how you could handle somebody like Justin Fields. Let's go back to The Athletic last year. Matt Schneidman wrote on May 2nd, the Packers and Love agreed on a one-year contract extension through 2024. The two sides opted against the fifth-year option, instead going with a less expensive contract extension. The contract extension is worth up to $22.5 million, including $13.5 million fully guaranteed. A fifth-year option would have cost $20.272 million fully guaranteed for the 2024 season. So what Jordan Love and the Packers did was Jordan Love ended up signing that extension so he had something on the books in 2024. He had guaranteed money on the books, but the Packers didn't give him the guaranteed money he would have been given if he had his fifth-year option picked up. So if you do something like that, it works for Fields because Fields has the opportunity to make some more money, right? He can make more money based off of incentives and bonuses, and it gives him the security. He has a contract that is locked in for 2025. For the Patriots, it would work because you now have locked in Justin Fields for two years. So you don't have to feel the pressure of saying yes to his option in May and being on the hook, quote unquote, for the guaranteed money that he would have if he ends up playing here in 2025. So you lock in Fields for two years. And with the cap space that you have, you confront the money. You confront the contract with bonus, and that would also help out the books. And now what would this do? What it would do is it would kick the quarterback can down the road for at least another year, if not two. And you have somebody in-house in Justin Fields that, again, I'm not telling you he's the answer, and that's why I'm not giving him a four- or five-year extension, and that's why I'm not trading a first- or second-round pick for him. But it gives you Fields who has, at least to me, a higher ceiling than Mac Jones, a higher ceiling than Jacoby Brissett, a higher ceiling than Bailey Zappi. Justin Fields is more ready to be the guy than a middle-round pick like a Spencer Rattler. Now, if you like Michael Penix, then that's another option, and you would turn down the Fields idea because you're drafting Penix in the second round or late first round. But if you don't love a quarterback, in this draft, if you don't think you can find that guy in this draft, then Justin Fields, to me, does make sense if it's a third-round pick, if you can get a Jordan Love-like contract done with Fields to give you the security of the next two years, not losing your tuchus, and allowing Fields to grow with Alex Van Pelt. I don't think that we can just dismiss Chicago's handling of Fields. It's not like the Bears did a great job with Justin Fields. They finally got him a good receiver with DJ Moore. And they kind of toiled around for the first couple of years with him. Nothing really worked. They didn't bring in any like great skill position players into the program for him to work with. He really had no wide receivers the first couple of years. I mean, Mooney's okay deep, but he didn't have a ton to work with. Luke Getze, I don't think, called an offense that worked for fields. So square peg, round hole. 
So we can't overlook Chicago's handling of him because that plays a role. I'm the guy that's been talking about during the season last year, Mac Jones and how he was handled by Belichick and how things weren't given to him that would have helped him. You can make the same case for Fields. You could say Fields obviously had a better season than Mac last year. So we have to look at the pieces that he wasn't given. We have to look at the offensive coordinator and what the game plans and what the scheme was. And we have to say, hey, look, is it worth kicking the can down the road for a couple of years if we don't love the quarterback in this draft? Bring in somebody like Fields, give up that third round pick, lock him in for two years and see what he can do with Van Pelt and better weapons, which brings me to this. If you do use a third round pick on fields and you kick that can down the road for a year or two, guess what? That means you're not using the first round pick on a quarterback. You're not using a second round pick on the quarterback position, which allows you to do some things, right? Now that you're not picking a quarterback at three, you have your options. You can trade back and you can draft a tackle. You can pick a wide receiver in the second round. You can draft Marvin Harrison at number three. You can move up into the late first round and draft a tackle. You can draft a tackle at the top of the second round. You can go out and get another wide receiver in this draft. You can sign a wide receiver. So you would have Justin Fields along with possibly Marvin Harrison, let's say Patrick Paul from Houston at tackle, and maybe even somebody like Calvin Ridley. Not terrible, right? Not terrible. So I do think, again, it depends on how you feel about this quarterback class. Do you love a guy or not? Are you able to get Justin Fields to agree to a Jordan Love-like contract? And then what are the other things that you do in the draft now that you don't have to worry about spending an asset at the quarterback position? All of those things play a role. That's why I don't think it's just a simple yes or no answer regarding Justin Fields. All right, don't forget to like and subscribe. We hit 2,000 subscriptions last night. Can't say enough about that. Thanks to all of you who have been with this program, liking, commenting and subscribing i gotta figure out the next goal maybe some of you have some ideas about that next goal and an end date maybe nfl free agency that'll give us a couple of weeks i gotta come up with a number i'll work on it but thanks to all of you and don't forget after liking the program today by clicking that thumbs up also don't forget you can send a super chat to jump to the front of the line there's a lot of people that are you know wanting the chat here And the easiest way to get your thought or your question, if you think I'm crazy about fields, the best way to do that is to send a super chat. You jump to the front of the line and you contribute to the program. Eric says, first live one. Thank God. Let's go, Cattles. Thank you. I appreciate you, Eric. Roll Pats, Nick Cattles, 2K. NC2K, is that too corny? Probably. (laughs) Ain't no way, says Justin will be Cam Newton all over. No thanks. I disagree with that. I mean, first of all, Cam Newton was an MVP of the league. Cam Newton that came here to New England was washed Cam Newton. Let's not forget he had shoulder surgery. He couldn't throw the football. You know, Cam was damaged goods by the time he was a Patriot. So I I don't think it's fair to Cam. And I also don't think it's fair to Justin Fields because Justin Fields can grip and rip. That dude's got an arm. I watched Justin Fields play a number of games this year. I watched him play at least four or five games this year. And there are times, again, there are flashes. He makes a play, and you look around, you oh my goodness. 
that was ridiculous. He has a ceiling that is higher than a number of other quarterbacks that you're looking at if you're not looking at a quarterback at number three. He has a higher ceiling than Jacoby Brissett, way higher than Mac Jones and and Bailey Zappi and Gardner Minshew and some of these other quarterbacks we want to talk about. And if you surround him with the right weapons and Van Pelt gets the most out of him, third-round pick might not be a bad idea. I'd be in on that if I don't love one of the quarterbacks. Michael Skinner, congratulations. I jump on whenever I can. Enjoy the content and fresh content. Thank you. Rob B., Fields would be great, but there's a contract situation that makes it risky. Uh, Rob probably sent that before I got into the contract talk and what I would do if I were the Patriots. I would approach. I would approach Justin Fields just like the Packers approached Jordan Love, try to iron out a two-year deal, not mess around with that fifth-year option, give Fields security, and also give myself a number on the books that's a little bit less than he would be looking at in 2025, but I'm not trading anything more than a third round pick for fields. If it's a first or a second, I think that's bananas. Absolute freaking bananas. No way. Absolutely no way. All right. Don't forget to like comment and subscribe rate and review. If you're listening on Spotify and Apple pods, uh, and again, continue to send your chats and especially your super chats to jump the front of the line and to contribute to the show. All right, let's get to the press conference yesterday. I disagree with people. I saw people, even my friend Greg Bedard, who was saying this, you know, yesterday in the Boston Sports Journal. I disagree with my friend Greg Bedard, who said, you know, there was nothing. There was nothing from yesterday's press conference, really. Nobody really said much of anything, right? I've seen this idea out there. I saw early edition last night. I saw some people say, ah, you know, they didn't really... I don't know what we were expecting yesterday. Were we expecting Alex Van Pelt, Demarcus Covington, Gerard Mayo to break out the whiteboard <laughs> and write down the plays that they're going to run in week one without knowing who the hell's going to be on this offensive roster? We have to have realistic expectations of these press conferences, my friends. And I thought yesterday was much more informative, much more informative than the Gerard Mayo introductory press conference. And here are some of the things that stood out to me. Mayo talking about having a bigger staff than Belichick said, we were thinking, what value does this role bring to the team? We've always had small staffs. It's hard to get things done that way in today's NFL. This is another example of the Patriots this offseason evolving with the rest of the league. It's very difficult to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish in 2024 with a small staff like Belichick had. It is very difficult, very trying. So this is evolving with the times. And you might ask why. Why does the size of the staff matter, Nick? Well, the size of the staff matters because you end up having people doing jobs that aren't really their job. You see this in all walks of life, right? I've seen it in radio for the last several years, especially. In radio, they'll fire somebody and they'll just give that person's responsibility to another person that's in the building. They'll fire somebody else. They'll take that responsibility and they'll throw it on the lap of somebody else. All of a sudden, you've got a couple of people in the building that are doing you know, the work of four or five, six people. And that's what was happening here in New England. And reportedly, the coaching staff was frustrated. Not the entire staff, but people on that staff last year were frustrated 
because you're doing things during your work week that you shouldn't be doing. Bill O'Brien should be focused on his sole purpose, his job, right? Alex Van Pelt should be focused on being the offensive coordinator. He shouldn't be worried about doing other things that other guys should be doing for him. And when you have too much on your plate, it impacts the product. It impacts your ability to coach. McGriffith 3 jumps in with a super chat. Thank you, McGriffith. Quarterback at 3, tackle at 34, please. Congrats on 2K. Thank you for the congratulations. It's all because of you, not because of me. It's a we thing. And, you know, I, I tend to look at this, and if, if I love a quarterback at 3, I agree with McGriffith. That's my plan. If I love a quarterback at three, I'm taking a quarterback at three, and then I'm taking a tackle in the second round. And people might say, Nick, you're crazy. Pick a wide receiver. Wide receiver is too deep. Wide receiver is way too deep. I'm not worried about a wide receiver right now. And again, we talked about this yesterday. If you want to check out the podcast, how I would build this team in free agency on the offensive side, I'm looking for somebody like Calvin Ridley to be that guy as my number one. And then I'll double dip in the draft at wide receiver in the middle rounds. When quarterback offensive tackle, if you can land your starting quarterback, your future at that position for the next 10 to 15 years at number three, and you can land a tackle who can start for you in the second round, to me, that's a win-win. It's a fantastic situation. All right, back to the press conference again. Thanks for the super chats. Thanks for the thumbs up, comments, and subscriptions. Here's what Mayo had to say about Alex Van Pelt. Everyone I talked to spoke highly of him. Good at developing talent. On AVP's scheme, Mayo said he can make the same concept look a bunch of different ways. It depends on the players that we have and the flexibility that he has as far as scheme is concerned. Cross-trained on multiple teams. Mayo also said on early downs, you're only going to get so many schemes. Third down is where you start to see coaches start to shine. I was at it was at the top of my mind when we played teams like that. You were always thinking, what are they thinking about us and what are we thinking about them? So for the people, again, for the people that wanted Gerard Mayo to give specifics, I thought he gave specifics yesterday. For people who wanted to understand what this scheme was about, I think we got what this scheme is about and what the bullet points are. What Mayo's looking for. Number one, offensively, he wanted an OC that can develop talent. Check. In his eyes with Alex Van Pelt, that's a check. He wanted a developer. Number two, he wanted some deception within this offense. And he's going to get that. That's why he says that AVP can make the same concept look a bunch of different ways. It's the idea of deception. And we've talked about that when we broke down what we might expect from a, a Van Pelt McAdoo offense. They love to run the football, yes, but they also utilize the run to mess up with your head, right? That they like to run the football. Then they'll call bootleg action off of the run. Then they'll call play action deep shots down the field off of the run game. So it's giving multiple ways to beat a defense off the same look. So as a defense, you're looking at the offense and you're you're expecting one thing to happen. You're geared up for one thing, and then all of a sudden, they punch you in the face with the right cross instead of that left jab. You weren't anticipating it. 
So I thought Mayo told us what he wanted from his OC bullet point style. A developer, he wants some deception within the offense. He also wants the offense to be adjustable. And this goes back to his introductory press conference when he said we are still going to remain a game plan football team. So he wants an offense and he wants an OC that can adjust and adapt on the fly. Oh, we're playing this defense this weekend. This is what they're weak at. This is how we can change things up to attack their weaknesses. He wants the ability to adjust. And he also wants third down creativity. Because as Mayo said, third down is where you start to see coaches start to shine. I don't know what more Gerard Mayo had to say during that press conference yesterday. He told us he wanted a developer. He wants deception in the offense. He wants the offense to be adjustable and adaptable. And he wants the offense to be creative on third down. He wants to make sure that he has somebody who's calling plays on that critical down that gets it. And he's telling us he believes Van Pelt is that guy. All right, more thoughts coming up. Like and subscribe. We hit 2,000 subscriptions, which was our goal by uh, March 1st. It's February 22nd, so we beat the goal. Let's continue to like, comment, subscribe, and build the momentum. Regarding the Wolf-Mayo relationship, I thought this was very, very important. Here's what Mayo said on Elliot Wolf. He sat in on all of the interviews. So this wasn't Elliot Wolf sitting down with just some of the guys. Elliot Wolf sat down and talked to every single candidate. He was involved with every single solitary interview that happened at Gillette Stadium. He sat in on all the interviews. Mayo said, once Elliot got here, we hit it off pretty much the first time we met. He's been a great partner in this. From a team-wide perspective to individual players, our philosophies match. I said this before the GM thing when we found out that Elliot Wolf was going to be the guy calling the shots. It is paramount that your head coach gets along with your GM. You need that relationship to work. Even more important than that is that your GM, president of football ops, whatever the title is, that guy who has the final say on personnel or woman eventually, when that person has the final say on personnel, you want that person to align with your coach regarding vision. When they look at a player, when they look at a player, how do they feel about that player? Are they aligned? Are they looking at the same characteristics? Are they looking at, at, at the same you know weaknesses and strengths? What do they want to do as far as building a team? What do they want their roster to look like? And the fact that Mayo's telling us, hey, look, a team-wide perspective to individual players, our philosophies match, that is fantastic news. That tells us that Wolf and Mayo are aligned with their vision. Critical. Thanks to New York 228 for sending the $2 uh, super chat. I appreciate it. Every super chat means the world to me. Uh, that's the way you jump the line and you contribute to the program. Mayo was asked about the Combine. He said, I have the ultimate faith in Elliott and his staff. Again, this is Gerard Mayo publicly telling us that he trusts Elliott Wolf. We cannot overlook that, folks. If this is going to work, and we don't know if it's going to work. I'm not Miss Cleo. How old is that reference? I'm not Nostradamus. That's an e even older reference. I can't tell you if this is going to work. But what I can tell you is, if Wolf and Mayo are aligned and they trust each other, 
and they communicate with each other well. That's the first step. If you don't have those things, it's not going to work. So I think when when Mayo sat there yesterday and pontificated on Elliot Wolf and their relationship, that means an awful lot to this program and if this thing has a chance to succeed. Trust saying that Elliot Wolf, it's his staff, so Mayo publicly putting Wolf in ownership of the front office and personnel decisions. It's another big step. And we found out yesterday that Wolf is going to speak at the combine. Could you imagine that? Somebody who's in charge of personnel actually speaking to the media at the NFL draft combine. That has not happened very often the last few years. And with Wolf speaking at the combine, that means my man got clout. He'd be walking into the office, throwing it up on a table, saying, I'm the guy. He's got clout. The organization is trusting Elliot Wolf to speak to the media at the combine and represent the organization at the combine. Speaks volumes. And I also love the idea of the transparency. Having the person who's going to make the final call standing in front of the media and having these conversations means that we're going to have transparency. There's going to be clarity as far as what this team is looking for. And I think transparency is important. I really, really do. We also learn more about the scheme on both sides of the football. DeMarcus Covington said the defense won't change as much. He said when you turn on the tape, what we want to see is a physical team, a team that plays with good discipline and fundamentals, a team that attacks the ball and takes the football away from their opponents. So DeMarcus Covington told us yesterday this is mostly going to be the same scheme overall. However, I do think it sounds, as we've talked about, like this defense is going to be more aggressive, that the play calling is going to be a little bit more aggressive. When he talks about attacking the football, taking it away from their opponents, I think we can anticipate this offense, rather defense, being aggressive, and hopefully the offense is aggressive too. We found out yesterday that Covington will call plays. He said, I do plan on calling plays. That was a mystery, right, under Bill. We found out that Steve called the plays after, you know, looking into it a little bit over a year or two. But there was never, oh, this guy's the play caller. That was never told to the fans. That was never something that was transparent. Well, now we know. Demarcus Covington is going to be responsible for the play calls. And again, that matters because if the play calls suck, we know who to blame. If the play calls are great, we know who to credit. That's how this world works. He says, you know, you get those practice reps on the practice field in the classroom going through different games and situations with the other coaches. It just doesn't happen overnight. I have been preparing. So Covington's telling you, look, I haven't been sitting around on my tuk-tuk just thinking, oh, when I become a DC and I get to call plays, I'll, I'll start figuring it out then. This is something that Covington has wanted to do for years, and he's been preparing for this over years of coaching. Alex Van Pelt on the offensive scheme. He was asked whether it would be Kevin Stefanski's Cleveland offense. He said, I would not say the same, but there will be similarities. Van Pelt said, I've taken pieces from a lot of different offenses over my time and kind of melded those together. What's best for us in that time? Van Pelt preached versatility and adaptability. 
I've done it a lot of different ways. I've been under center a ton, been in a shotgun a ton, issues with personnel in certain areas and been able to adjust. Confident with the coaching staff will put the players in the right place. It's not so much about scheme. It's about the players putting those people in position. What I read from that is that Van Pelt wants certain skills, right? He looks at a receiver. He looks at a tight end. He looks at a running back quarter. He looks at his players, his skill position players, and he says, these are the skills in a perfect world to run my perfect scheme. These are the skills that I need from those players. However, I have the ability to adjust if we can't land that type of player. So I'll give you an example. Alex Van Pelt might look at Drake May and say, oh, my God, that dude is a dreamboat. As my quarterback, oh, my goodness. It's like Hasselhoff in Germany back 20, 30 years ago. This guy's the guy. <laughs> He's the one I want. He's the one I need. He might love Drake May. And Van Pelt might look at Drake May and say, he's the perfect quarterback for the system that I would, under the perfect situation and scenario, would run. However, if Drake May goes second, then what do you do if you're Alex Van Pelt? Van Pelt is telling us, I have the ability to adapt. I have the ability to adjust. So if I can't land Drake May, it doesn't mean that the offense is going to be a lost cause. I find a way to get the most out of the quarterback that I do get to try to win football games and move the football. So he wants certain skills, but he knows he can adjust if they can't land those players with those specific skills. Lots of other quick notes before I get to some of your chats. Again, don't forget to give us that thumbs up. Every like matters. If you're watching on YouTube, take a second of your time during your busy Thursday and give us that thumbs up likes comments subscriptions hit our goal of 2000 all right some other quick notes van pelt on mac jones didn't take a lot out of him saying everything's on the table it's exactly what i thought he would say because he doesn't know he, he he has no idea are they going to be able to sign jacoby Brissett or gardner Minshew or kirk cousins or any of the free agent quarterbacks that they might target he doesn't know he doesn't know they have to go through the full draft evaluation process. They still have to go to the combine. They still have to do these interviews with these players. They still have to get these quarterbacks up on the whiteboard. So Alex Van Pelt doesn't know. So he's not going to go out there and rule out anybody. So everything is on the table. Didn't surprise me. He also said a lot about leadership. They asked him about the quarterback position and what he looks for. He talked about leadership over and over and over again. He wants the quarterback to be a leader. Now, that's been a big question about Mac. So it'll be interesting to see what Van Pelt gets out of the building regarding Mac's leadership and whether or not, you know, he'll be in on that idea once he gets all of the intel. But also it's important when we look at the draft because, again, if Van Pelt is talking about leadership, you're going to find that stuff out during these interviews. When you sit in that room and you sit across that guy and you have that interview with him, you learn more about him. And when you go out to these, you know, pro days, and when you talk to coaches that have worked with these players, you learn more about those guys. Is that guy a leader? Does that guy have what it takes at the next level to lead a group of men? And the good thing is, because the Patriots are picking at number three, 
they're going to have a sit-down interview with pretty much anybody that they want, aside from Caleb Williams. I don't know if Caleb will sit down with the Patriots. But at number three, they'll get a sit-down with Daniels. They'll get a sit-down with May. I mean, they have more stroke when it comes to communication with some of these people because they have the third pick in the draft. So that means a lot. You're not stuck in the middle or late first round trying to get some of these guys to talk to and and get information on them when their agents know there's no way in hell that you're going to draft that person. The Patriots can do a lot of homework on Marvin Harrison Jr. because Harrison Jr. knows he might be a freaking Patriot. So when you talk about intel and info gathering, having the third pick is a very, very good thing. Van Pelt also spoke to, you know, Wolf. He said he spoke to Elliot Wolf before the interview he had for OC on the Wednesday night slash Thursday morning. And that makes me wonder, you know, Phil Perry has said this. Others have said this, that the Patriots were initially looking at Alex Van Pelt to be in the Ben McAdoo role. And then when Zach Robinson decided to go to Atlanta with his buddy Raheem Morris and Nick Cayley decided to stay in L.A., the Patriots pivoted and said, hey, Instead of having Van Pelt in that McAdoo role, why don't we just put him in the OC role? Maybe that's an option. So let's bring him in and interview him about that. So were the early conversations between Wolf and Van Pelt, were those actually about the Ben McAdoo role? I don't know. I would love to ask Elliot Wolf if there were conversations about Van Pelt maybe filling another role before he was brought in to interview for the OC position. We also found out, although we pretty much knew this, that there was heavy influence from the coordinators as far as their staffs. Alex Van Pelt had a major say in his staff. Covington said he had a major say in his staff. And Jeremy Springer said that Tom Quinn, his assistant special teams coach now, that was his number one guy on his list. When when he, he said when he... When he would think about becoming a special teams coordinator, Tom Quinn was the first guy on his list that he wanted with him on his staff. So, yes, the OC, the DC, the special teams coordinator, they had major input on who would be on their staff, which makes a lot of sense. Just makes a ton of sense. One more thing before I get to some of your chats and get out of here. My guy, Jeremy Springer, what do we think? Well, Jeremy Springer, if if you were if you were writing a film about a football team and you had the role of special teams coordinator in your head, does Jeremy Springer not fit that vision to a T? I just kept thinking of Talladega Knights all hopped up on Mountain Dew. My guy was all hopped up on Mountain Dew yesterday. My freaking goodness was he pumped in jail. He made Pete Carroll look quiet and docile. (laughs) He made Pete Carroll look boring. Jeremy Springer looked like he wanted to put his head through the table yesterday. He was hopping around, smiling. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing great. Doing great. I I want Jeremy Springer to be my, my life coach. Like, I want to get up in the morning, and if I'm not feeling great, I want to, I want Jeremy Springer right there at the edge of my bed being, let's go. Feeling good. My man was pumped. <laughs> he, just, he was he like <laughs> Rob D says it. Springer seems like he's never had a bad day. Yeah, that 
he was all he's smiling ear to ear smiling looking around looking wow there's a lot of media here today my man was extremely excited he was hopped up on mountain dew love it life coach life coach love it alberto padilla says too many cooks in the kitchen could result in messing up the sauce makes me nervous don't be nervous. Every organization does this, Alberto. See, I'm a big believer in getting a lot of people in the room who have expertise, seeing how they feel, and then ultimately making the best decision for the organization. Elliot Wolf's going to make the call. So I think collaboration is better than tunnel vision. And with Bill, we had some tunnel vision. Amy jumps in. No, this is a Pat's heavy pod. I get it but the bees deserve some props for a great road win last night. I watched the first two periods. I went to bed. They were up, what, 4-2? And so I went to bed. I said, I can't stay up till like 1.30. I was exhausted. I had terrible sleep. Terrible sleep on Tuesday night. Just the drizzling poops. Not literally. <laughs> I didn't have the drizzling poops. I had the drizzling poops of sleep. So I went to bed. I woke up and I saw 6-5 in overtime. I did see the McAvoy goal. My freaking goodness, that was ridiculous. I also saw the Swayman show early in that overtime. But I think, you know, you could look at last night as two different things, right? You could say, oh, look, great win on the road. You can also say they had a lead. They were up, what was it, 4-1 in the second period. And then they gave up that lead and allowed that game to go to overtime, which isn't great. But then you could say they showed that they could respond face adversity swayman showed up big time mcavoy showed up big time grizzlick went out in the first period you're already down hampus lindholm you're playing with 5d which isn't great and you got contributions from several people so you can look at it two ways i, I look at it as the latter instead of the former and thank you amy for the super chat again you don't have to do that you can just buy a couple of beers when we hang out next which by the way needs to be soon i appreciate you Love you. So uh, if, you, if you don't know, Amy is a friend of mine. Consider her kind of like a sister. So, yeah, I, I thought I thought last night's win, especially on the heels of Monday afternoon's win, good vibes back-to-back -back wins. Linwood, what about Ryan Tannehill? I mean, look, if we're talking about the Jacoby Brissett's of the world and the Gardner Minshew's, we could have a conversation about Tannehill. I think he's washed. He wouldn't be my first choice but it depends on how desperate you get. I keep on saying it. You know, third pick overall, if you love a quarterback, pick the quarterback. Stand by that. Nolan, read me the Patriots' fortune, Mrs. Cleo. LOL. Was it miss or missus? I think it was a miss. I don't think, I don't, I don't think Cleo was married. Too bad. She might have deserved to run at love. <laughs> New York 228, I didn't see your question. You had a super chat. I apologize. Um, can Tyquan Thornton be redeemed in AVP's offense? I don't know, man. I, I'm out on Thornton right now, and I wish I wasn't. I just I don't have much confidence in Thornton's ability to overcome certain obstacles. He has not shown the detail with route running. Uh, he's been incapable of staying healthy, which is certainly something that we all discussed when he was drafted because of his thin frame. So I, I think there's just a lot of questions about Thornton. I, I'm not totally throwing him away right now. Again, I, he comes into camp. I would absolutely bring him to camp. 
see if the coaching staff makes a big difference because he's still young. He still has the ability to get down the field. And he has had a catch or two, <laughs> trying to be nice. He's had a couple of catches that might have stood out. But I don't think you can bank on Thornton in any way. And I know that's not your question. But uh, can he be redeemed? Maybe. I mean, there's always hope. I don't know if it's a 5% chance, a 10% chance. There's always hope that uh, a new staff, new vibes, new approach might be able to change some things. Roll Pats. I firmly believe Bailey Zappi fans would try to bench Tom Brady for Zappi. They'd boo Caleb Williams to get Zappi on the field. Uh, remember the college game day sign, Zappy over Brady. I, I think that college game day sign was more about that person wanting to get on TV instead of their actual true feelings. All right. Went a little long here today. Thought it was worth it. Had some fun. Hit our 2,000 subscribers goal. I am happy. I don't know if I'm as happy as Jeremy Springer, but I am happy about that. Let's continue to build the momentum with this show. You can do that by liking it, commenting on it, subscribing. Spotify, Apple Pods, rate and review. Tomorrow, best day of the week, Friday, right? Before the craft beer session begins. We'll do more Patriots, figuring out what I want to do. Maybe some mock draft. Maybe something else. Maybe something breaks. Maybe something get, somebody gets franchised. We'll have to wait and see. But until tomorrow on that Friday, 11 a.m. as always, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m., except breaking news when we add bonus podcasts for $0.0. .0. I bid you adieu on this Thursday. I appreciate you. It's the Nick Cattle Show.